Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we'll be reading verses 35 through 45. Glad to be back with you all. We've had a lot of traveling going on this month, and uh, so uh, started with a uh, vacation to my mom's place for several days, and then I was in Tennessee for a denominational um, retreat where it kind of had to do with the Presbytery Committee that I work on, and then Friday we had actual Presbytery itself in Birmingham. Um, so, been on the road a lot, but I'm uh, glad to be back with, with you guys. I hear, I've heard some, some good things this past week. I heard about a great youth retreat that went well and so much uh, neat stuff going on, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing a bit more about that in the future. And uh, I heard some of our young ladies uh, had a debut in show choir this, this week that went fantastic, so we're proud of them. And um, just excited for all that God is doing. Now, if you are physically able, would you stand now for the reading and proclamation of God's Word? Mark chapter 10, and beginning in verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. And they replied, let us sit, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the boundless truth of your word. God, you help us to understand things that we would never understand for, from our culture, which tells us to look out for number one because no one else is. Our world tells us that you climb that ladder and you knock off whoever you have to on your way up. And don't worry about those underneath. God, you have a very different plan, a very different standard for greatness in your kingdom. And I thank you for the example that you gave us in your own son, Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the instruction that he gave his disciples, which we can take advantage of today. And understanding how we can truly achieve greatness in your kingdom. 
Father, bless the reading and proclamation of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Has anybody had a bad dining experience lately? Specifically, a bad server? I'm seeing smiles and grins and chagrins all over the place. I mean, we, we constantly deal with those folks who are supposed to be serving us in some form or another. It's not just at restaurants, but, you know, it's interesting that those who are called servers aren't always very good servants. But guess what? What does the word for minister mean? A servant. What does the word for deacon mean? A servant. In fact, every title uh, in the Bible for spiritual work has to do with service. So while the world tells us, look out for number one, God tells us to serve. In fact, if you want to achieve greatness, you know, we're in this country, we're given the, the call that this country is about achieving life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. God tells us that our pursuit ought to be for his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And pursuing greatness in that kingdom, chasing greatness in that kingdom, Jesus says, is a matter of service. And he didn't say, well, that's something for most folks. You know, it's interesting, different worldviews out there will, will say, we're going to make everybody the same. And, you know, some of the socialistic and communistic ideas in our world, well, we're, we're going to put everything the same for everybody. But isn't it funny how there's always a different standard for the select few that, that even in these societies that say everybody's going to be the same, somebody is somehow not held to that same standard, that same account, but not Jesus. The last verse we read is one of my all-time favorite verses, Mark 10, 45. Think about this. For even the Son of Man, it's one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself. It's not a title of grandeur. It's not a title of, oh, look at me, how great I am. Hey, I'm a Son of Man. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but rather to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see that whole thing we think about Jesus dying on the cross for us? That was merely an extension of his complete plan, which was to serve us. How far did he serve us? All the way till the end. All the way to the cross. And so if you and I are going to be great in his kingdom, it's not about finding our special little place getting in the right spotlight, being recognized by the right people. And look, Jesus' disciples didn't get this. I mean, I I read something the other day that encouraged me. It said that somebody who did the math, someone's better than math with me, calculated the amount of times that the the hours in the waking hours in a day that Jesus' disciples had been with him for over uh, three years. And they said they spent over 8,000 hours with Jesus. And then it said, and they still didn't get it. I said, okay, that that makes me feel better when I don't get it, when I slip into a worldly way of thinking. But we have to come back, and we might have some grace on ourselves, but only allowing God's grace that we come back and we say, I messed up, but I need to get it. 
And we get into this idea of puffing ourselves up, of displaying ourselves, of bragging on ourselves. Uh, Even those of us who don't do that, we're, we're that way on the inside because we're like the other 10 disciples who got indignant. I love that word. That's a good proper word, right? They were indignant. You know, in other words, uh, it, it was holy anger here. You know, we were indignant that you would do this. Why were they mad? Because they didn't think of it first. Or, or they wanted to be at his right and his left, but they knew better that it looked bad to go ask for it. But they were really mad because they wanted those positions themselves. So whether you're a big outward bragger or you just like to sit back and you get mad and judge those braggarts because you would never, but you, you sure would like to be in that position, We all need help. We all need to get in this idea that we were made to serve. We were made to serve. What does this idea of service look like, though? If we're going to be great servants, how does it it actually happen? I want us to think about some of the traits this morning that a true servant has. The first one is that a true servant keeps his or her commitments. A true servant keeps their commitments. You know, it's interesting, we can, we can have folks, commitment's just almost a, a lost art, right? In this world, folks don't do what they're supposed to do, they don't live up to their word. They'll say whatever they need to say just to get you off their back, and, and it's not just out in the world. You know, there, there are things that we deal with in the church that people say, I'll do this, I'll do this, and then somehow it goes by and never gets done. We, we are not a very committed society. The words of, of duty and, and keeping our word, those ideals have gone so far. It's interesting. It reminds me there's a, um, back, back in the old Mary Poppins movie, not, not the whatever modern remake but, remake, but the old classic one with Julie Andrews, there's a, there's a quote in there where the two little children, the boy and the girl, they say, stay with us forever, Mary Poppins. Promise you won't ever leave. And she says, that's a pie crust promise, easily made and easily broken. All right, so I don't know how easy pie crust is to make because we always buy ours. But I guess they're easy to make and uh, they're easy to break. Uh, But you know what? This fictional Mary Poppins character basically said, I'm not going to make a promise that I don't intend to keep. And that should be our attitude, that we keep our promises, that, that we are sure about them. Matthew tells a story, um, Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 21 about two sons that he says, come here, boys, I got some chores, okay? And the chores were out in the vineyard. I want you to go out and I want you to pick. And the one son says, sure, pops, I'll be glad to do it. And uh, he walks off and goes on his merry way and does whatever he wants and forgets all about the garden work. The second son, he's kind of grouchy. You know, I think this was, you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but from personal experience, I feel like this was a Saturday morning that the boy had been out late the night before and dad says, get out in that garden, boy. And so the, the son doesn't respond so well. He, he fusses and, and he complains, no, I'm not doing that. But it says, then he changed his mind and went out and did it. And Jesus said, now, which one of these boys was the father actually pleased with? He was pleased with the one that actually did it. I'm sure he didn't appreciate the lip, but he appreciated him going out and actually working. 
So Jesus' point was clear. It's not that big talk that is important. It's not that posturing is important to God. It's actual action, getting out there and doing what we're supposed to do. Secondly, a true servant serves where there's a need. You know, the first, when a need is put out there, the first thing lots of folks do is start making excuses. I, oh, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, oh, I've got this, that, uh, you know, um, and they start talking about how busy they are, and they never even stop to consider whether God actually wants them to be that busy, whether all the things they've got going on in their life are actually pleasing to God or, or whether they're, they've overloaded themselves. Now, some people even have a very pious and spiritual uh, excuse. Oh, that is such a need, but you know, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm sorry, I can't go over there and serve in that way. But guess what? I do believe God wants us to operate out of our spiritual gifts and use them as much as we can, but sometimes there's just a need. And sometimes someone's just got to step up for a while and say, I'll gladly surrender when someone else more gifted comes along, but I just, there is a need and I can fill it and I'm going to do what needs to be done. See, we don't need to use spiritual gifts as an excuse for our carnal laziness. Moses wasn't gifted to speak. Do you remember that? But God said, hey, I I'll give you the command anyway. You go and speak to my people. And he flustered and mustered and complained, and he did all this stuff. And eventually God said, okay, you're going to do the job, but I'll, use, I'll speak through your brother. And you know what Moses lost? He lost that opportunity for God to do something in him and to build him and to make him be useful. And Aaron ended up having to do it. Most of us are familiar in this world with the, with the Pareto principle. It's a principle that came out in, bu- in the business world several years ago, and it said that any organization, 20% of the people will do 80% of the work, and 80% will do the other 20. In other words, there's a few people busting their tails, working hard, making everything work, and the rest of the people in that organization are doing very little at all. But guess what? Here's something, folks, that, that the Bible teaches about the church. You know what? The church is not an organization. It is an organism. The church is a living body. Now, do you think you're going, your body's going to be feeling too good if 80% of it's slacking off? If Some of you all are like, yeah, I'm there. It doesn't feel good. 80% is not working, and I don't like it. None of us want to be in that place. In a body, you want 100% or as close to it as you can get all working and doing what we ought to be doing. And so the Pareto principle that's seen as a normal thing in the world should never be applied to the church. Every single believer ought to be working, functioning as part of the body of Christ. A true servant, third, has a servant's heart. You see, you'll never act like a servant until you think like a servant. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 2 said, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on how to describe how he left the glory and splendor of heaven. And, and he lowered himself. He condescended to come to earth. And he was obedient even to the point of death, Paul says. But Paul says, that's okay. Because one day, one day, 
At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what it's about for all of us is not man's recognition, not the world's recognition, but God's recognition. That we are to be willing to lower ourselves. We are to be willing to think as a servant. Uh, several years ago, a minister gave me a great idea, and I did it for a while, and I forgot about it, and I need to bring it back again. But he said this, that when he answered the phone at the church or his, his, his cell phone, and he knew it was a church member or someone in the community needed help, he would always let it ring till about the fourth or fifth ring. And the reason was so he could say a quick prayer, Lord, help me serve this person who's calling me. Let me be a servant to them. And he would get himself in that mind frame so that maybe even though he'd had a sorry day, maybe he'd missed some sleep, maybe he'd been ticked off, who knows, maybe this person had even hurt him before. But he would put himself in this mind frame, Lord, help me to serve this person. And when he picked up the phone, he was in servant mode. And I think that's a great idea, but you know, we need more than just on the phone servant mode. We need at home servant mode. We need at work servant mode. We need at the ball field servant mode. We need wherever we are to be in that kind of servant mode. Far too many Christian workers are high maintenance. They'll work, they'll say yes, they'll do, but only if they're constantly patted on the back and constantly prodded. Now, I'm not denying a legitimate need for encouragement. We all need encouragement. I'll tell you, all of us need encouragement. But the, ultimately, our motivation should be from looking at God and doing what he's telling us to do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, he said, here's what your attitude ought to be, guys. Luke 17, 10. He said, after all this hard work and all the accomplishments, we should say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. <laughs> in other words, now Jesus talks a lot about rewards and, and, and encouragement and all other things. But he says, you know, our attitude should basically be like, it shouldn't be, look at me, I've actually served. It should be, yeah, I did what I was supposed to do. Sometimes we have to serve people who aren't sure that they want to be served. And that's okay, because again, we're being like Jesus. In Romans 5, 8, the Apostle Paul tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It means he didn't come out there and look at us and say, oh, what a good person he is. You know, I'm going to die for him. No, he looked and he said, what a rebel. What a sinner. But I love them. And I see more in them. And I'm going to shed my blood so that they might receive my grace and mercy. And God looked down on each of us and saw us at our very worst the things that even no one else but us has seen, maybe the things that we haven't seen, we've ignored or overlooked. He saw it all, and yet he loved us enough to die for us. And we have to have that type of mentality. I remember quite a number of years ago, and it's been a number of years because this was about a year or two before Katrina, I was attending the uh, Southwestern uh, regional conference of the Evangelical Theological Society. Okay, that's a lot of words. Uh, but it was a big conference with theology stuff, okay? And I was going along with several other pastors, and we were checked in at a hotel uh, down in New Orleans. And when we, as we were leaving that morning, we asked at the desk, what's a great place to eat around here? What's a good place to eat? 
And so we were directed uh, to a place called Sassifras. So we walk into, uh, into Sassifras, and it was so interesting because you know though that you ever been in one of that the record stops situations where all of a sudden it was like, okay. And so it was like that in there because we walk in there, and we are the only white people in this place, all right? And there's no sign no white people are allowed. But I'm just telling you, like, we didn't just stop. Like, all the people in the restaurant are kind of stared at us all. Like, don't you know this isn't the white people? This isn't for white people? I mean, that's what it seemed like. So we're sitting here talking, and, and we didn't, you know, we weren't going to say anything out loud. So somebody said, well, hey, did y'all say you really wanted to go to Mexican? You know, or, you know, we're trying to, like, what to do. And the, 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 the waiter came up, and he said, um, he said, hey, are you guys ready to get a seat or how many or whatever? And, and somebody said, well, we, we haven't really decided what to do yet, okay? And so this fellow, he was pretty smart, though. He knew exactly what was going on. As he looked at us and he said, let us serve you. He said, let us serve you. And you want to know that was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. And it took that waiter being able to just see what was going on, that we weren't sure if we wanted to be served, that we were kind of hesitant, that maybe we were about to leave, and him looking and saying, let us serve you. Okay. And it was a great experience. And sometimes we're going to have folks that aren't too sure about this Jesus stuff that we're talking about. And they aren't too sure about the love and kindness that we're trying to extend, maybe because they've had a bad experience with religious folks or someone has taken advantage of them before or someone's been fake to them before or whatever reason. They're not too sure. And sometimes we have to overcome barriers and we have to be able to say, let us, let me. And I mean, not just the words, but we need to be genuine like that gentleman was when he said, let us serve you. Fourth and finally, a true servant realizes that God is his life. You know, the level of devotion that I'm talking about would be ridiculous to give to any one human being. But this is about God. And so sometimes we think, okay, well, the answer is to put God at the top of my priority list. And I guess in one way that should work out. But what happens usually, that doesn't really work out very well because we end up compartmentalizing our lives. We say, okay, I'm going to give, you know, 50% of my life to God and then, you know, 40% to my family and 10% to work. Or, or we work out these other ratios of here's how much. And the thing is, God never asked, though, for 50, 60, 70, even 80 or 90 percent of your life. God asked for all of you. Your commitment to God goes through everything you do, your romantic relationships, your work relationships, your parenting relationships, everything you do, God is to be utmost and first and foremost in those things in your life. Yeah, I'm always amazed how quickly we can move God out of the way for our favorite hobbies or activities. It's not that they're evil, hunting or travel ball or 
shopping or that out-of-town guest that just seems to linger on Sunday morning and we can't get to church. Because it's not even just about Sunday mornings in church. But it's about all of us making the right priorities in life. Making sure that God is number one. He's not just number one. He's the whole list. That he's through everything. And we don't just say, well, my spiritual life's on Sunday morning. My career is 8 to 5. Monday to Wednesdays. Weeknight evenings, that's for my family. And the weekend is for social life. See, that's how we end up as schizophrenics. We're so compartmentalized in different ways. God is not an item on your priority list. He is your list. You see, almost 3,000 years before people started wearing T-shirts that said, soccer is life or baseball is life, God in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 20 said, I am your life. He's not a part of it. He's not the majority. He is your life. So if you and I claim to be servants of God, we should live like it. I have always wondered over the years as I've been to a restaurant. I understand in some places why somebody gives you poor service because they think, well, you know, in a certain job... Well, you're not the one who pays me. I don't care about what I think about you. But I've always been confused when I've gone to a restaurant or someplace where their money, their tip, their income is dependent on me. And I'm like, why would they not serve me well? I mean, this is, this is just contrary to common sense. Serve well, get a big tip. Why would they not do that? And I remember one time I was wondering that and... God brought a better question to my mind. And he said, Tim, why would you as a Christian not serve me well when you know your eternal reward depends on how you serve me? Because the Bible says that all of us, all believers, will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll answer for every idle word. We'll answer for what we've done in this life. And there's a possibility for those who serve well that they'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. But you know, God doesn't fib. He doesn't lie. He's not going to say that to those who haven't served. And as we know, all of us, that that day is approaching where our service to him, and this is not an issue about heaven and hell. Your name's written in the book of life when you become a Christian. But this is about how God is going to reward you and how you're going to serve him in the next life. We're going to have to stand before him. And if that's the case, if you're God's servant, why in the world wouldn't you serve him well, knowing that it affects your eternal rewards. Pray with me, please. Father God, I come to you today. I thank you so much for your love, your care for us. God, you served. Jesus could have come down He could have called the 10,000 angels to slay anyone 
who mocked him, who hurt him. He could have been removed from the cross in an instant. And yet, God, he served all the way through. I pray that we would have a heart, your heart, for loving and serving as you have loved and served us. Father, in this time we have now of response, help us to do business with you. Help us if we've, at, if we've ever had the attitude toward others when they ask us to do things and we say, who do you think I am? Rather, may our heart say, I am a servant of God. And I will serve him and I will serve others as he leads me to. Help us to have that mindset which was in Christ Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.